0: Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com.
1: Good afternoon, and welcome to Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and it is my great pleasure to welcome back to the studio, Dr. Dixon de The as I keep. Referring to you for some reason as the Mac Daddy of vertical farming, <laughs> I don't know why that suits you so well, but I'm sorry it does. I um, love it. <laughs> it's been a few years. You came on about uh, I think just about three years ago uh, with Jen Nelkin, who yes. is at Gotham Greens, right. or I think she's still at Gotham Greens. Oh yeah, and um, and Gotham Greens has finally opened up, and and yep. the whole world of urban agriculture has evolved. N- exponentially, since you guys were here three years ago. I mean, I, I can't get over the things that are going on, and its yeah. I've actually done a lot of shows about it for some reason cool. in the last few weeks. Um, but uh, I did want to catch up, because vertical farming so caught my imagination from the op-ed that you wrote in the Wall Street, I think it was the Wall Street, New York Times, Times. about three years ago, yep. and uh, that's how I learned about you, and I learned about vertical farming, and... Um, I've been curious to hear what's happened since then well. So have at it, man I can see you're just bursting with I excitement Yeah, I am
0: You know, you sent me a list of questions that you wanted me to answer But they're already been answered So let me begin by saying that um, After having written the book on the vertical farm Which came out in 2010 There were no examples of vertical farms yet To actually chronicle in the book But right. the next year, the soft cover book came out and I am neglect for not bringing you a copy, but I will make sure you get yeah, one. Yeah, you are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a demerit. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Please invite me back. <laughs> I- I'd love to,
1: absolutely. I hope you'll come many well, times.
0: But anyway, keep going. In the year that it took to make the softcover book happen, three vertical farms emerged out of the ashes and uh, are now are operational. Incredible. So, and there are more now. So let me tell you where they are first. Uh, the first one that I actually had the privilege of visiting is in Korea. Really? Suwon, Korea, which is a little town sort of dedicated to agricultural research by the uh, Korean government. It's between uh, Seoul and Incheon, about halfway between those two cities. But if you go to Incheon, because everybody flies to Incheon first before you go to Seoul, there's almost no difference between Incheon and Seoul. Mm. It's a big, gigantic megalopolis that goes all the way up the uh, the river. So uh, halfway between there, they built this beautiful seed bank to preserve all of the uh, plant life of South Korea and, of course, including the crops. And next to it, they built this beautiful high-tech three-story vertical farm. And that's where they test out the seeds to see that they're still viable. So it's a really nice combination of high-tech science and the desire to remain sustainable. Okay, because Korea is very concerned about their sustainability issues, as you can imagine. About maybe 80% of the country is either mountainous or forested. So they've got very little land. Uh So they want to develop vertical farming as an alternative to going to Kenya, (laughs) which is what their original plan was, to raise food and then ship it all the way back to Korea. Uh, They sort of rejected that one out of hand. And so now they're engaged in vertical farm research. Was fantastic. Okay, that's one.
1: And is this because they read your book and were inspired, or because you had given a talk there, or they came up, they decided to do this on their own? How, how did that come about? Yeah, well, that's
0: okay, it's not it's, what
1: you'd expect <laughs> of Korea, you know, South Korea. I mean, I,
0: I would like to think it was because of two presentations that they heard in two thousand and eight. One was from Carrie Fowler, who was from the FAO, which is the Food and Agriculture Organization of WHO, the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. And myself, uh, he talked first about the need for developing seed banks throughout the world. And, of course, I went next and said, you know, here here are vertical farms. in In thought and in virtuality, what we need to do is now bring them into reality. So they... They did both of those things Amazing. within 3 years.
1: Amazing. So we could actually do that here if we had the political will. You
0: know what? We can do anything we want, Katie. And let me tell you what we did already. We captured the dust from the tail of a comet and brought it back to the to Earth to analyze. You tell me we can't make a vertical farm? <laughs> Come <Yeah>. on. <laughs> we can do it. You just say it's a matter of priorities. Yeah. Just a absolutely. matter of Okay, so the second vertical farm that I know of is in Japan. It's in a place called Kyoto. A lot of your listeners are familiar with that town, I think. Uh, I am too, but I've unfortunately never been there. Uh, it's housed within a building that's shaped essentially like a seven forty seven hangar. Really, no windows, all crow lights. When you step into this building, there's a there's a, a video that you can access on the uh, on YouTube called New Veggie N U V E G E. It's as you're stepping into some 60s James Bond movie and Dr. No is growing all of his vegetables inside this <laughs> building. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, but it, but Dr. No doesn't exist anymore. This is Dr. Yes. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. I like that.
0: Very nice, Dixon. <laughs> so, uh, so... Not only are they successful. That's that's not a government sponsored project. That's a uh, that's private sector. That's funding. a startup, capitalistic oriented. I'm going to make some money doing this business. And they started before Fukushima. Mm-hmm. Now they want to build a second one. Guess where? Thirty miles outside of Fukushima to convince the entire country of Japan that you can grow healthy produce off the grid. Uh huh. Now Japan has a similar problem to korea in terms of the amount of land that they can sure. farm uh, there is 78% mountainous forested so when sendai got trashed by the uh, by the tsunami i don't know I, we all saw that and it was horrific watching these enormous waves just sort of pour into these horribly lowland uh, I wish they were all higher up, of course, but they weren't. When Sendai got trashed, Japan lost about 2% of its farmland.
1: Mm.
0: And that's now contaminated. So they can't go back and use it. Uh, that Every time you cut down the amount of farmland, they have to see for alternatives. So here's an alternative, the vertical farm. Yeah. Um, the third one that I know about is in Singapore. Now, there's a trend that you might be seeing here. <laughs> Literate, wealthy no standing armies. Huh. When you put those three things together, and small, right? agriculturally challenged, but where everybody agrees that they should do something, number two, they have the wherewithal to do it, and number three, they have governments which think ahead. And you put those three things together and you can't lose. Yeah. So Singapore next wants to develop vertical farms. They've got a three-story vertical farm up and running. <clears throat> you can access that again on YouTube not a big uh, video, but it, it says we want to do this, and we're doing it in a small scale now, so there are prototypes, but the mm-hmm. one in Japan is not a prototype okay, now let's go to Holland Holland again, another country that's small, challenged with arable, literate yeah. wealthy yeah. almost no homelessness mm-hmm. almost no other problems, very low standing armies, low expenses I should say for those things on the euro, doing well no land, the ocean is busy trying to take back the whole country. Uh, so, what are they going to do? They're going to build vertical farms. So, there's one um, by a company called Plant Lab. Plant Lab. These are te- technical people. They've actually um, got engineering degrees and, and plant physiology degrees. They form this company. They investigate for 15 years what the wavelengths of light that are perfect for plant growth are. Then they make LED lights to those wavelengths. The next thing you know, they're building their vertical form three stories underground. Wow. To exclude daylight. Right. Because they're convinced that there are some wavelengths of bright light, not the ones needed for plant growth, but other wavelengths, that actually slow down the growth of the plants. Huh, so if you exclude them, they get twice the growth rate.
1: Wow. Well, that's, that's one of the issues that, um, that I read about when I was researching for this interview mm-hmm. was that the, the cost of energy, that LED yep. technology had not really that's caught true. up to what this you need to really successfully vertical farm. That's uh, right. You know, farm in a vertical uh, paradigm. Sure. So um, it's encouraging to hear that they're working on this very, pro- pro- very problem so, um, you know, so assiduously yep. and so successfully, apparently. It, exactly.
0: Now, it, it matters where you are as to the, t- the price of energy and yep. also the cost of food. So in Japan, new veggie already is over the limit for break-even. They're now making a profit Uh because their energy costs are less than their sale costs or their profit margin, I should say. Right. So their return on investment is guaranteed almost, especially after the Fukushima ex- uh, uh, incident.
1: Well, what are they using for energy if they're not using nuclear energy to power
0: their um, Well, Japan planet? has, well, you know, Mount Fuji is a volcano. It, so they're using... <laughs> they could use geothermal. No, like, they're not. Uh-huh. They're not because the energy grid still is largely nuclear. And there's another source of energy that Japan has taken advantage of, which has been slow to come, in places that use coal, although Japan used a lot of coal also, by the way. It's called plasma arc gasification. And essentially what it is, is a, uh, it's is is two gigantic electrodes which emit a spark, which you can maintain by feeding electricity into these electrodes. Where they meet, they form a plasma, which is the fourth state of matter. It's what the sun is made out of. The amount of heat that is. <laughs> you can't just see this, shuddered. But I, it was just
1: like my eyes just rolled into the back of no, my if, head. If okay. I was Mayor LaGuardia and then, she, then her eyes
0: rolled back and. <laughs> 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 hey, kids out there, are you listening to this? <laughs> plasma! <laughs> arc gasifier, the plasma arc gasifier has been likened to imagining yourself sitting on the sun. Mm hmm. You'd last about one micromillisecond, and you'd be vaporized back into your elements. Well, that's what's happening when you pass a substance through this arc. It's a new, newer technology. It's been around for about 20 years. It's now been perfected to the point where it's uh, economically viable, and it's environmentally friendly. Uh-huh. So Japan has embraced this technology big time. They've got about 500 of these facilities throughout the country and so I, I hope that Nuvegi gloms onto this and uses plasma arc gas gasification as their way of generating energy
1: well what other forms of energy could you use that would um you know harness uh sure. things like solar or wind or yeah, methane of or i mean you can pretty much use anything you, you don't could. have to
0: use uh you know something right off the grid right that's right you don't have to burn fossil fuels in order to get this yeah. to work out like for instance if you live in iceland yeah you've got you all the geothermal. Ge- you've got so much you don't need us all right so that's they're I'm sure they're working on this, but I haven't heard of any specific projects. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to get back to um, Holland because Holland has got tons of wind power, as we know. Right. It's uh, not the home of where the windmill was invented. I think that was in Spain, but uh, they employed windmills for a long time to generate lots of energy to grind, you know, grains and to
1: sure to mill to mill grain. Yeah, of course, absolutely.
0: So, uh, Holland is uh, a great country to look forward to seeing the invention of their versions of vertical farms. Uh, There was one going up in England. Actually, it was up already. It was an abandoned uh, warehouse, but they uh, abandoned the project because it was not economically viable to do it. There is a vertical farm in Chicago. Yeah.
1: That's what I read about. Yeah, which I thought was so cool. It was an old
0: meatpacking plant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they're doing well, by the way. They're doing very well. Uh, And there's one in Seattle called New Vesca, uh, Cavesca, Sorry, Cvesca. C-E-V-E-S-C-A. They're not on the grid yet, but they will be. It's a f- Actually, it's a friend of mine's architecture group who formed a company and moved there. But, but, I was holding the best one back
1: okay, for I'm last. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is the one, if you were to point to the others and say, show me a proof of concept. I want to see this thing that works. Okay, I would take you probably to Korea or to New Veggie. Right, But if you want to see the concept, forget about proof of concept, you just want to see the concept, I will take you to a small town in southern Sweden called Linköping, L-I-N-K-O-P-I-N-G, Linköping. Linkoping. It's close to Malmo, one of the mm-hmm. most uh, environmentally friendly cities in the world. <clears throat> I think this little, little town is in competition with Malmo <laughs> to see who can become the greenest city ever. There's a company called Plantagon. They are an amalgamation of business and technical people, and their origins are in the Onondagan Indians in New York State, believe it or not. No kidding. They have made tons of money in their casinos. <laughs> they are now investing this in green technologies. They are constructing get this one, there's a hole in the ground, so I know this is going to happen a 17 story vertical farm.
1: Wow. Yeah. Yeah, because wow. up until now what you've described are relatively small, that's like right. three stories has been the max. Modest up until beginnings. this. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. But seventeen stories that's, that's a significant concept. And are they doing it literally as a glass tower with yes. like the rotating uh First of all, you know, we haven't really described what vertical farming is. So before we get into this Swedish business, (laughs) um, you know what, Jack, let's take like our little 30-second break. We're going to come right back with Dr. Dixon de Pommier to talk about vertical farming. He's going to explain exactly what it is and why what they're doing in Sweden is so very exciting. Stay tuned. (laughs) program was brought to you by Fairway Market. Whether you are cooking for one or for a crowd, Fairway Market literally has everything you need for a fantastic meal. But if you don't feel like cooking, no worries. They cater. Check out fairwaymarket.com for more information. And be sure to check the new blog, On Our Plate, for weekly specials, health tips, and recipes. Sponsor us. We are back. This is Straight No Chaser on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer, and in the studio with me today, it is my great pleasure to have Dr. Dixon Depommier, a Professor Emeritus from Columbia University and the Mac Daddy of vertical farming. Um, we were just describing some of the new farming projects that have emerged over the last few years, which was the last time we talked to Dr. DesPommiers, um, and uh, I realized that we hadn't really um, totally explained what vertical farming is. So before no. we get into like this... Really exciting development in Sweden Um, Dr. Depomia. why don't you give us like a quick thumbnail Of what is vertical farming How does it work And why is it the answer to urban agriculture in the future
0: Uh, Well, okay (laughs) Or one of the answers, I guess Excuse me Okay, so I I should start by saying that vertical farming The concept is not new Of course, if you look back in history You can find the the hanging gardens of Babylon You can find references to um, uh, urban agriculture and urban gardening and um, treatises written by Buckminster Fuller and John Todd. There were references, but the timing was wrong. You know, at that time, the earth was... Apparently, the sky wasn't falling. Chicken Little had not emerged yet from the egg. No one was listening anyway. World War II happened. They came back. They thought everything was going to be perfect. And for a while, it was. Just see uh, Mad Men for that one Yeah, right <laughs> Well, I how, think
1: people thought that, that the, the, the amount of, of product you could harvest from the earth was kind of infinite Correct Yeah
0: And not only that, the forests, you could cut them all down, it didn't matter Right And uh, um, about 1980, things began to turn south And I don't mean to South America, they just went yeah. south <clears throat> Pardon me and, and at that point, we realized that we had reached a tipping point, at least in terms of some things As the population grew and the food uh, demand for food, clean food, safe food on demand went up, uh, the amount of arable land went down, floods, droughts, et cetera. And development. And development, tons of development, because people were growing populations, right? And there was nothing to stop them, so why shouldn't they? Um, Today, we find ourselves in a crisis in many regions of the world, and those crises affect you and me. They didn't appear to be that way in the 1960s and 70s. That's their problem, not ours. It turns mm-hmm. out their problem is our problem. It turns out some of their problems, we cause those problems by and demanding And those things. problems are our children's problems. <coughs> of course they are. So eventually we developed a conscience, I guess. or At least some of us did. So perhaps, you did. <laughs> well. <laughs> <coughs> Thank you for saying that. But a lot of this is student-driven, too. So the idea did arise in a classroom. And it said, what can we do about this besides, you know, put all the trees back? Well, if you're going to put the trees back, how the heck are you going to do that if there are already farms there? Ah, that's a catch-22, right? Yes. So you have to figure out a way to do both. You have to repair the environment and supply food that's safe to eat for 13 billion people, perhaps. Who knows? Up to nine, at least. That's yeah. 3 billion more, 2 billion more than we have now.
1: That's right. And apparently, according to the conference I just attended, we need 70% more food to do that. And we don't have 70%
0: more land to grow it from. No, we don't. Imagine that all the cities of the world occupy about 4% of the land mass, but they require the size of South America to grow their food. Right. Now, if you keep the circle of the city this big, and I'm making a circle with both hands, and... I can't make a circle big enough to uh, indicate what South America would look like. But the more food you grow inside this circle without increasing the land mass, the smaller this big circle becomes. Until finally it becomes manageable. If you can grow 60% of your fruits and vegetables within the city limits without increasing your footprint, because you can do it because there are abandoned buildings and lots of open spaces and things like uh, Floyd Bennett Air Force Base in New York City. But if you go around the world, you can find those places everywhere you look can find rooftops, you can build up from there. We're good at building up. Yeah. Let's continue to build up. And that's why this idea, when I put it on the internet in about, 19, about 2004 or 5 uh, it, there was a real chance that it would have been ended <laughs> right there. People would have trashed it. They said, this is crazy, move on to another idea, we can't do this. The opposite happened. We started to receive lots of designs from uh, amateur architects, full blown architects, engineering firms, sure. planners. Uh, It's crazy. If you go to the Internet now, in in fact, in 2004, there were about five terms for the term vertical farm. If you look now, there were over 40 million the last time I looked. That's pretty good. And so if you go to the images, there are about half as much, but 20 million hits just on interest alone to these farms. Okay, so what is a vertical farm then? We, our class, (laughs) which included 106 different students at, at, at for the entire length of the project, which lasted about 10 years. Uh, it's simply stacking high-tech greenhouses on top of each other and integrating the systems. What systems? Electrical, uh, nutrition deliveries, information management in terms of when to harvest, what to plant. You know, it's the same uh, problems that Jen Elkin has with her Gotham Greens uh, Greenhouses, except now it's on a multiple-story level. Right. And that, that's an engineering problem. Sorry, that's all it is. Yep. If you can make a one-stage rocket, you can make a three-stage rocket. And we did that, and we sent 13 different groups of astronauts to the moon. Well, one of them <laughs> didn't make it. That's okay. They All, all but one came back, unfortunately. So... If we can do that, we can certainly stack greenhouses on top of each other and integrate their systems. And so that's what's what been done. That's
1: and vertical farming is predicated on hydroponics yes, as is. opposed to using soil. So sure. there's, that's, I think that's one of the most important distinctions to draw about vertical farming. Indeed. Well,
0: actually, Jen Nelkin's greenhouses use hydroponics, too. So yeah. you don't have to be vertical to use it. But, yeah. but, think but it's about, a very
1: efficient system yeah, for a
0: vertical it. concept. The world uses 70% of the liquid fresh water on this planet to farm. Yeah. Hydroponics uses 70% less water.
1: Exactly. And since water is going to be the resource we fight about in the next 25 years. Exactly. Yeah. Don't fight about
0: it for gosh sakes. Sit down and have a drink. (laughs) 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 come on that's what we should be doing so
1: now you were about to tell us about this because we we have only about 10 minutes and i can tell you have a lot to say about this farm (laughs) in sweden so let's go back to what you were talking about before the break which was this um an actual farm that is 14 stories 17 17 stories in sweden in a small town yep and what how did they get the funding for it? That's a good what question? What made them want to do it? Yeah. I mean, let's yeah. let's get the soup to nuts on this
0: one. Well, you might get the soup, but you won't get the nuts. The nuts are the guys doing it in Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they're laughing all the way to the bank. Well, though. I do too, because uh, it's a bold step to go from a prototype of three stories, yeah. in which you're working at energy requirements and nutritional delivery systems and the kinds of crops that you want to grow, to a 17-story building. Okay. But knowing these people and knowing where they got their support from, they got it from uh, the Swedish government, for instance, and the Swedish government is totally behind this. So they're partnering with, with Plantagon to make sure that not only does this project uh, get completed on time, but that it functions the way they want it to. Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're beginning with a rather modest proposal. And that is, we will grow only leafy green vegetables in this building. And there, it turns out to be the most easy uh, vegetables to grow. So, but they're going to grow ten different varieties, and they're going to supply, mostly according to their literature at least, to the Asian market now. Are there a lot of Asian people? Why aren't people?
1: they going to be supplying it to their own
0: market? Uh, that's a good question. I think you should ask those people what they're going to do with this, because I'm sitting on pins and needles waiting for them to finish, and I'm going to go over there and actually see this building. Yes, yeah, of course you are. The images that they put up on the internet are startling. Absolutely really? stunning. Yeah, stunning buildings. And it's uh, driven by sunlight, by the way. They're not going to use grow lights, as far as I can tell.
1: So they have solved the energy problem of like uh, uh, of having an equal amount of sun. Because yeah. one of the things I read about when we were research when I was researching this uh-huh. is that the plants that are closest to the windows are the ones that thrive the best. Right. So how do you rotate the plants yeah. so that they all get an equal amount of light? And That's that right. seemed to be one of the problems that was uh, you know most difficult to solve without yeah. using
0: a huge amount of electricity to make it work. Correct. Well, the, one of the solutions comes from. From the lighting laboratory at UC Davis they use mm-hmm. reflective mirrors cool so they can actually reflect light from the back of the building into the other side too and by using highly reflective surfaces on the inside particularly where the plants grow you can get a lot of sunlight around here and plus there are lots of plants that are shade tolerant that grow better uh-huh. <coughs> in, in reduced sunlight and those are some of the edible plants that we eat as well particularly root vegetables
1: uh-huh, that uh, think makes about sense.
0: potatoes. Sure, where are potatoes grown throughout the world? The Andes, challenged both in terms of sunlight, temperature, and soil types. Maine,
1: yeah,
0: uh, come yeah. on, Idaho. These yeah. are not great places for uh, sunlight, and so potatoes would do very well in a reduced sunlight environment. Uh-huh. And people eat lots of potatoes. So I think those would be good crops to think about, too. You know, radishes and uh, So onions. all
1: root crops would work well in this <laughs> setting? All root, well root crops would
0: setting. work great. Yep. So without soil, you can grow root crops in uh, composite material like vermiculite uh-huh. or rock wool, which is volcanic rock all crushed up and then redone as a, right. a little ball of of material that you can stick your uh, seeds in.
1: I've been hearing about a product that's like a carbon, like a charcoal product too, oh, that people yep. are using for for gro- as a growing uh,
0: medium. Sure, but, you know the moment, uh, Katie. The moment this field becomes. Identified to the uh, burpee seed companies and to Monsanto. and I mentioned a nasty word just now, but to be honest with you, those are consumer-driven and they're uh, stockholder-driven. What if the stockholders said to Monsanto, you know, we don't think you should be doing any more genetically modified food. We think you should get an award for the vertical farm projects. They would, because... They're driven by their stockholders. Okay? Absolutely. So, how do you convince the stockholders to convince the companies to do the right thing? And that, that's basically where we're at, right? There now.
1: There are actually advocacy groups that do that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, that's true. Who knew? But there are. Yeah, exactly I've interviewed right. some of them. Yeah, we don't want you to go out of business. We want you to do yeah, the right thing. Yeah, we want you to do. You want you to do business better. Yeah. Ethics. Yeah. That, yeah. Earth ethics. Ethics in the in Earth the business ethics. field. That's what even a hurts. concept. Yeah, almost an oxymoron. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, we have five – no, we have a little bit more than five more minutes. Okay, so here's a question for you. Yes. Now, when we talk about yield or we talk about types of products, okay, we can grow root crops, we can grow leafy greens. What yeah. about the problem of, for instance, the increased um, amount of meat consumption that we, pred- right. that we predict yeah. uh, in developing nations as well as in our own? Yeah. And how do we feed those animals? Can we grow cereals, grasses, all of that kind of stuff can be grown in a vertical farm so that then you have – Last for meat animals, but you're growing all of those crops for, I mean, let's face it, feedlots are not going to go away anytime soon. No. So we might as well just embrace that That's concept right. and That's say, right. how are we going to grow those crops? Instead of growing corn in vast fields in Idaho yeah. or Iowa, Nebraska, et cetera, grow them in a vertical farm. Is that
0: possible? Of course. And in fact, they're doing that now, too. You can grow six crops of corn a year indoors as to par- compared to one crop outdoors. And so- wouldn't
1: that stabilize the price?
0: I would think so if
1: I mean, could, because one of the oh, things of course I worry about is like, uh, you know, commodities Corn, soy, all of those things They're are weather traded driven. It's yeah. weather-driven And it's traded on the futures market yes, it it's, is Food has become a stock Which I think is ethically completely <laughs> off the charts <laughs> I wrong. would agree with you um, So, but And so when people talk about stabilizing food prices You can't yeah. do that until you can stabilize crop yields That's right So in a vertical farm setting, you could you could manage that Sure Because
0: you wouldn't have to have worries about drought. Nope. Or floods. Winds, floods. Insect pests. Yeah, right. Some plant diseases, I mean, you can't keep everything out, but the advantage of working indoors, of course, is that once you get rid of the problem, you can start again right away. Right. Outdoors, you have to wait till next year. Yeah. So there's a huge difference between these two. You asked Jen Nelkin about um, sale of produce. She's got produce trucks circling her facility in Greenpoint waiting for the harvest. She can sell on demand
1: Wow, that's advance, fantastic
0: In uh, advance, several months to years in demand
1: And you can also predicate, you can predict how much of a crop yield you're going to get this It's not true. going to be, um, uh, again, affected by weather or, or right, climatic right.
0: issues By the way, have you, have you ever eaten at Bell Book and Candle in New York City? No, I haven't Check out their rooftop garden sometime Sure They're employing aquaponics Oh, really?
1: Yeah. You know. Somebody was asking me about aquaponics <laughs> the other day, as a matter of fact. That even yeah.
0: uses less water than aeroponics. And
1: what about the guys out at, besides Brooklyn Grange, which yeah. is opening a new facility in Atlantic Yards, there's Bright Farm? Yes, there is. And that's an even bigger... This is true. Uh, ...more well-funded this um, is true. facility than yeah, our Jen friends at the Grange. Jen
0: was a former employee of uh, Bright Farms. That's right, because they did the science barge. Exactly. Yeah. And I was their, one of their science consultants. Oh, so my God, it's it's oh my God! <laughs> it's all interconnected. Oh my
1: God! So Dixon, we're going to have to wrap it up. Tell me, like, no tell people about your book yeah. where they can read more about this. Sure. And anytime that you're going to give a talk, anytime near here, oh, yeah. anywhere oh, near here, I, I,
0: actually, that's excellent that you should uh, mention that at this. And we didn't talk about
1: the podcast. No,
0: we didn't. (laughs) That's another show. Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't tried Roberta's Pizza. Maybe I will the next time. (laughs) So my book, softcover book, is available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and places like that. And it's called? The Vertical Farm, uh, feeding us and the rest of the world in the 21st century. Right. Uh, It's cheap. It's paperback. It's got a whole bunch of nice pictures inside, but a lot of information, too. And these... Three vertical farms that I mentioned uh, recently—the one in Japan, the one in Korea, and the one in Holland. Uh-huh. Uh, <coughs> my next talk is at the World Science Fair in Brooklyn. Cool. When Coming is that? Coming up soon. You can go online and find out. It's June second. Uh-huh. It's at five thirty in the afternoon. It's on Saturday, and uh-huh. um, it's about the vertical farm with pictures. Fantastic! So it's a whole audiovisual presentation. Yes, That's,
1: that sounds great. Yeah. we'll put that up on our website.
0: Great. Yeah, so the two podcasts that I'm involved with are a little bit off the subject. One is called This Week in Virology, which has received the top ten science podcast awards for the last Congratulations. year. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, Vince Racaniello is my partner in that one, and actually started it with me. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is called This Week in Parasitism. You'd think these are not connected to the vertical farm, but here's how to avoid the parasites. Stop using human feces as fertilizer. <laughs> no, tell I'm that to k-
1: the Africans, my friend,
0: <sighs> or to the Chinese, or to the South. Or the Japanese. I mean,
1: another the South Americans. No, you're I mean- right.
0: You're right. You're right. It's- if we could just do that alone, we'd save half of the medical costs of the world. Incredible.
1: Well, we're gonna. I'm, you're coming back because oh, I good. just came back from DC, where I went to the National Food Policy Conference, oh, which was sure. uh, featured a lot of people from FDA, I'm and sure, we talked sure. a lot about food safety management or uh, Modernization Act and the fact that nothing basically has happened, um, in spite of it being voted in two years ago. Right. Those regulations yeah, still haven't yeah. been decided, and um, yeah, it was. Habits. Oh my God, <laughs> it was. It was a real. You know, know thine enemy. I here, think here. is the um, here, the operative here. word. Going to those conferences is such an eye-opener oh, in sorry. terms sure. of uh, sure. the degree of ignorance that exists within yep. the Food and Drug Administration and within the USDA. Yeah. And, um, and secondly, um, the, the willingness uh, to lie through their teeth. It's just, it's staggering. And these are people who I know have the best will in the world. You know what I mean? But they really, they if they don't know the answer to a question, they're not going to do the research, and they'll just lie. Don't you? <laughs> I mean, one guy said to me, well, there weren't any kitchens in schools. That's why we don't have to retrofit kitchens. Uh, they just uh, didn't uh, have... Uh, you know, I, I was me. like... Literally, my jaw dropped (laughs) I I couldn't believe And he said this in front of 250 people Without the slightest, you know As if I was
0: a jerk for asking You know, I I wish that you could superimpose The picture of the person speaking next to the screen Yeah, And there's something called the Pinocchio factor You just have the... (laughs) (laughs) yeah this <laughs> would grow and grow and yeah. grow and yeah. grow.
1: Oh, oh, and the guy about bioengineering uh, uh, grains. Oh, if it doesn't work out, we can just put it back. Sure I said, you, can. you cannot put genetically modified foods back into the genie bottle, my friend. No I'm not a scientist, but I know that that's true. There's a one-way street. yeah. Out that's right anyway Dr. DePomier, it has been a great pleasure to have Katie. you back I really hope you'll come again and again it's so I great to talk that. to you you're so smart and so entertaining and you're just so like the savior I mean you just Ow. got your fingers on the Shucks. pulse of what's happening yeah no don't be modest anyway it was a great pleasure thanks so much thanks for listening folks and next week uh, actually next week is Memorial Day I am off and then the week after that I know I have something really cool planned um but I can't remember what it is. Sorry. So we'll see you two weeks from now. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com, as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.